10th episode of USHJA On Course. I'm your host, Teresa, and before we jump in, I have a few updates from the association for you. Our new National Hunter Derby and International Hunter Derby Regional Championships get underway next month with the first iterations happening at the Kentucky Horse Park. Good luck to all members competing. There are a few upcoming virtual town halls with President Mary Knowlton. Don't miss these chances to hear directly from our sports leadership. Find dates and registration information at ushga.org slash townhall. Finally, nominations for USHJA's Board of Directors elections open May 14th, and voting for Zone Committee member elections opens May 15th. More information can be found at ushga.org slash elections. this month's guest, Rob Jacobs. An advocate for giving back to the equestrian sport, Rob is the founder of the Robert Lawrence House of Opportunity, has long been involved with the USHGA Gottschman Grant for USCF Pony Finals, and sits on the USHGA's Diversity and Inclusion Advocacy Committee. He is also a rider and trainer, recently relocating to California as the assistant trainer for Archie Cox at Brookway Stables. Let's hear more from him about how he is changing the sport for the better in a variety of ways. Hello. Hello. How are you? Great. How are you? Good. (laughs) So to kick off, just tell me a little bit about your background and how you got started into the horse world. To make a story as short and sweet as possible, um, I've always loved horses, but wasn't exactly exposed to them uh, growing up. Um, I would see them on TV and, you know, in magazines and things like that and just thought they were really cool animals. Um, and my parents, uh, basically told my siblings and I that we uh, had to do some activity after school, you know, some sport. Um, so I tried a bunch of things that were definitely not for me, <laughs> basketball, football, swimming. I mean, probably 15, 20 different sports. Um, and then finally, I ended up going to a um, overnight summer camp uh, in Maryland, where I grew up. And um, there were a bunch of activities that we had access to as, you know, little campers. And trail riding was one of the activities that we could pick from. Um, so, of course, I thought, well, oh, my gosh, I got to try that. And um, I picked that the first day at this camp. Um, I guess I was maybe like in the sixth grade. So I got started a little later than most. Um, but did that the first day and then just fell in love with just being on the back of a horse and, um, and finally having an opportunity to do so. Um, so then just did that the rest of the week as my, you know, after lunch activity. And some of the, uh, kids that I met, they wanted to go, you know, jet skiing and all, doing all these basketball and all these other things. And I'm like, nope, I'm just going to trail ride every day. <laughs> so, um, that's what I did and got back home. And told my parents, I think, you know, we finally found the sport for me. Um, and they knew nothing about it, uh, but they were supportive and encouraging. So we whipped out the yellow pages. Uh, back then it was said, makes me feel old, but I'm definitely not old. <laughs> um, so we looked in the yellow pages and uh, found a local barn. It was like 20 minutes from my house. And I... Yes, I got lucky because the first barn that we picked was an excellent place to start. It was super, super safe. It was cost effective. Um, and they definitely taught you how to be a 
you know, good horsemen. You had to clean your tack. You had to learn how to polo wrap. You had to groom your own horse and tack it up. And so there was a lot of um, that, that, of course, at the time, we didn't know anything different. But, you know, looking back on it, we definitely got into a, a great place to start. So what does your place in the sport look like now? I know that you've recently relocated to the West Coast. So tell me a little bit about that. Yeah. So, you know, the horses have taken me, you know, to, to different states, different parts of the country. Um, and I've done horses in sort of different capacities, which I think is pretty cool. And it um, sort of shows the world that, you know, there's not just the one thing of, you know, you're either a, a you know, a trainer or a groom or a bar manager. You know, there's so many different things that you can do under the sort of equestrian umbrella. Um, but back in January, I accepted a position uh, working for Brookway Stables uh, and Archie Cox um, as an assistant trainer. Um, and it's been great. I still do other things um, uh, professionally sort of on the side um, in the horse world. So I uh, relocated to Los Angeles back in January. Um, but I, I still am involved, um, with USHJA on certain projects. Um, and I also teach an online equestrian course for St. Andrews University still. Um, and that was, um, the full-time job that I left when I moved out here. Um, and one of the things I was able to, um, uh, keep was, uh, this one online course. Um, my schedule doesn't allow me to do more than that. I wish I could teach more courses uh, online for that university and, and possibly other universities. Um, but right now, just teaching the one. Um, so with Brookway Stables, it's uh, a competition-based business, basically. So we spend a lot of time at shows. We're not home that much. Um, you know, and a lot of the riders and customers, they have horses and they enjoy competing them and, and growing their partnership with their horses in the ring. Um, so that's been really cool. And uh, it's, this is my first time living on the West Coast. So um, so that's been a, a neat new experience too. A lot less humidity out there. Yes. We had uh, two days last week where it was 90 degrees. And I think I was anticipating like um, a North Carolina sort of East Coast 90 degree day. Um, and it definitely was not the same. It still you know, it was warm. But 90 degrees in the south, uh, you know, southeast, it, uh, it's very different than 90 degrees here. So. <laughs> so did you find it stressful making such a big career change in the middle of a pandemic and in what so many people are calling an unprecedented time? Yeah, it for sure was um, stressful. And, and, I, and I made the transition probably quicker than, than most. Um, I was just in a position where I realized it was a better fit for me to, uh, you know, find a, a full-time job at a different uh, organization or with a different, in a different area. And um, so just through word of mouth, I reached out to some of my friends in the industry and, um, and this was available. Um, and I, de- I did not want to miss the opportunity. Um, so I, you know, moved rather quickly, probably within, you know, 30 days or less, probably close to three weeks. Uh, time frame made the transition out here. Um, and it was, it was stressful, but, you know, I'm not opposed to taking some calculated risks and, uh, knowing that, you know, sometimes things work out really well and sometimes they don't. Uh, but that's certainly a, you know, part of this uh, industry and a part of life too. Um, so I wasn't 
I wasn't too afraid, not enough to stop me, that's for sure. Definitely a good opportunity to take. Um, and that is actually a good segue to where we're going next. Uh, you give back to the sport in a wide variety of ways, but you have the Robert Lawrence House of Opportunity. So for those who don't know, what is that and what was your inspiration behind it? Yes. So it's a clinic-based nonprofit, donation-based, I should say, um, uh, clinics that I put on. Um, and I've done this now for approximately four years, and I've always done them um, as little or as much as my schedule allowed. So there have been, in the four years uh, or so time frame, there have been times where I've done, and I call them opportunity clinics, um, where I've done them maybe three times a month. There have been times where I do, do them maybe once a month or at, once every three months. It just really depends on um, how I'm able to volunteer my time. Um, so, you know, growing up, um, you know, we didn't have unlimited resources, my uh, family and I, and um, there were a lot of clinics and shows that we had to miss. Um, and by miss, I mean, you know, not compete in them. I still went and watched and helped my friends and that sort of thing. But um, we weren't able to actually do ourselves. Uh, and so as I got older, I realized, oh, wait a minute, that, that wasn't just me. You know, that's a lot of people. Um, that's the, the majority of our, you know, sport. Um, and, and so I thought, well, you know, what's a good way where I could give back to the sport and, and help, um, and to be known for doing something positive in the industry instead of being known for, you know, doing something not positive. Um, so I thought, well, uh, I could do something easy, something, you know, on a, on a Saturday or on a Sunday where maybe I don't have anything going on where I can um, go clinic at different facilities, different barns and, you know, different parts of the country um, and make it donation based. So that way there's no reason anyone can say no, unless they're just not available that date. Um, so that's what I created and that's what I did. And, um, and, and now with my work schedule and the other jobs that I have um, sort of part-time jobs on the side, um, I, I probably do an opportunity clinic every few months. Um, the, the next one that I have coming up is in June, um, out in Utah. Um, and it'll be a two day long, uh, opportunity clinic. Um, and I'll also, they have a fun, sort of a fun in-house schooling show. Um, I'll judge that fun schooling show and then you know, do an opportunity clinic. Uh, and that'll be just the same. So it'll be donations. So riders can participate uh, at that particular barn and in the local barns. Um, and it's affordable for everybody because there's no set fee, you know, and, and nowadays, um, to get a, to get a, you know, quality clinic from someone who's knowledgeable in the industry is it's expensive and, um, and, you know, more expensive than some people, you know, want or can afford to pay. So. One of the biggest notes from a lot of people in our sport is how expensive it is. So I love that you are able to not only relate that back to your upbringing um, and how you got started in the sport, but then give that learning opportunity to other riders who maybe couldn't normally afford it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and that's, um, that, I think I grew up the way I did for a reason, you know, with the, the hope and the purpose that, you know, one day I would you know, pay it forward. And, and I, I think, I think that's important and I, I enjoy it. That's for sure. I, I definitely, I always feel 
uh, I, several years ago, I guess maybe about three or four years ago, I, I had an equestrian business of my own, um, and it, it was different doing a clinic that was for profit, meaning, you know, I charged a set fee. Um, I always felt different, uh, finishing those days, you know, doing clinics for, for, for my farm, um, than I did and then I do when I finish an opportunity clinic. Um, I just feel more fulfilled and like, um, you know, serving a better purpose and, um, just feel better about what I've done and feel better about myself. And, you know, I'm not just, you know, kind of counting and keeping track of, you know, how many horses came in the ring at these different times and, and adding it up and then making sure I get a, you know, the right check at the end of the day, you know, that, that just, I mean, there's nothing wrong with business, obviously. Uh, but, yeah. but it just, it just wasn't the same for me. And, uh, and that wasn't how I wanted to do horses, um, where it was, you know, geared toward that way. And, and so that's, so I, at this point in my life, um, I do not do for-profit clinics anymore and, and probably stopped that maybe about three years ago. So, um, if I do a clinic somewhere, um, it is under this, you know, donation based model, um, where it's just, you know, make a donation and, um, you know, and I have no interest in, uh, trying to figure out if someone's cheating the system, if maybe this person is wealthy, but they donated $5, you know, I, I don't have any interest in, you know, thinking about that or, or trying to figure that stuff out. Um, life has its way of, of taking care of that. So. So where do you hope to see it in like five years? You know, it's interesting. I've had a few uh, friends in the sport um, bring this up and, you know, offered their services to basically say that they would be interested in being a part of it and, and maybe doing doing it with me. Um, I'm very much open to that. You know, I, I don't know how to approach it. Um, and And I need to like really force myself to make time to really sort of develop that idea and iron it out and figure out how it would work and, um, you know, who could be involved in it. But, but I could see it growing that way where it's just not, you know, me, I'm only one person. I'm certainly a limited resource in terms of my time and, and my knowledge, but even to bring in, you know, more knowledgeable uh, clinicians who have, you know, the same interests and desire to, to give back and to donate their time. Um, so I could see it growing that way where maybe there's like a, a team of, of clinicians that, um, you know, around the country that, that do this, even if there were, you know, 10 other, 10 others that did it once a year, you know, well, that's still 10 other clinics from knowledgeable people that, you know, could impact people that I may not have had an opportunity to help or to see. Um, so, so that's one way I would like to, you know, develop it further. and. Um, and then do something good with the money that is raised. Um, so every year it's sort of do something a little different. Sometimes it's um, providing grants to, to equestrians to purchase um, riding gear for them if they don't have appropriate helmets and safety uh, equipment. Sometimes we do things like that. Sometimes um, it's a um, you know small monetary scholarship for college. Just sort of depends on on what the need is that that at that time. So, uh, I'd like to maybe spend time ironing out, uh, that possibility because I think it's certainly doable. Well, I hope it goes there for you. 
I hope so too. <laughs> Speaking of grants, you play a quite a big role in our Gotchman grant. Tell me a little bit about not only your role, but also for anyone listening who doesn't know, just about the Gotchman grant in general. Yes. So this is uh, a grant that uh, Becky and David Gotchman started years ago. Um, and it's specifically for uh, pony finals. And they provide uh, every year uh, three pony riders with an opportunity to come to pony finals to compete. Uh, and these are riders that, you know, otherwise would not have an opportunity to, to do so. Um, so they started the grant and, uh, and it's just been growing and growing and growing every year. And every year we're able to bring in, um, most of these kids don't have qualified ponies and rarely we will have, um, maybe once every other year or so we'll have, um, a rider who received, who got the grant. Um, they have a qualified pony, but they don't really have the financial resources to, to bring it. Um, and so, uh, and so we, we either, we, we, the grant allows them to bring their pony or if the riders don't have their own qualified mount, um, Robin Greenwood is a, a, an Emily Ellick. They are pony specialists and they are in the pony divisions every weekend. So they have a lot of contacts where they're able to uh, have donated uh, to the grant um, qualified, suitable, safe, reliable uh, ponies to be used. Uh, and so uh, it's a, packed week of a lot of activities, both mounted and unmounted. Um, last year uh, was on, we put on hold and Pony Finals was obviously count, canceled due to COVID. Um, and when I spoke with Becky about you know, how we wanted to proceed for the following year, you know, would we open it up again? Would we um, just tell last year's recipients, you know, sorry, we can't have you, you know, how did we want to handle that? Um, Becky made it very clear that she wanted the last year's recipients to roll over into this year and she wanted us to open it up again. Um, so that way there would be, you know, as much as possible, no one missing out uh, in terms of, you know, aging out. We didn't want to cancel it out for this year. Um, so this year is exciting because this will be the first year where we technically have six, uh, you know, recipients. We have the three from last year, last year being canceled, uh, and then three from this year. So it'll be uh, it'll be a big year, um, which I'm very excited for, and um, and so there's a lot of things for the kids to do uh, in the community with different barn tours um, and activities at the horse park. Um, we're still waiting to finalize our uh, agenda for the week. Just kind of we'll see what's available this year. Still being sort of in the, under that COVID umbrella. Um, we'll see what activities are available, uh, and we'll we keep the kids very busy. Um, so it's been really fun being a part of. Um, the one thing I will say about it is it's interesting to see how this changes the life of the riders, you know, years to come. And um, we've had several kids really take this and run with it and um, really gain confidence in themselves that, you know, oh, I can actually do this. I can actually I'll work hard and my efforts will be uh, rewarded. And we have a few that, you know, have later gone on and become working students for top barns like Don Stewart um, and, and really just break into it. And yes, they have to, you know, work hard or maybe work harder than most. 
Um, but they, they're willing to do that and, and get in with these great programs that develop their riding and develop their skills. Um, so that's been really cool to see, you know, that, that this, this idea that the Gotchman family had, it, it really works. And, um, and certainly not all will really want to, you know, take it and run with it. Um, but, but there's some that do. So that's been really good. It's amazing that we get to be a part of, you know, accomplishing that goal, making that dream come true for so many kids. Do you have a favorite moment or memory from past years? Oh, so many. Um, I would say one that I can think of um, would be uh, one kid in particular. It was um, all we've been fortunate to get um, really good uh, ponies that are safe. Safety is, is first and foremost, of course, uh, safe and suitable. Um, but we did have one pony in particular, um, and I can think of sort of the same same situation with two separate where, uh, you know, these two ponies in these were two different years, but these two ponies were, were just um, may, maybe based on how they were built and the confirmation of the ponies were they were a little bit maybe downhill and, and they weren't always they weren't always easy. They, they were certainly safe and we were happy to to have them. Um, but. But the kids had to overcome um, certain things with riding and learning those those ponies, um, and to see by the end of the week the, the light bulb moment come for these riders where they could you know really understand maybe how to position themselves um, to balance the pony to maybe get the cleanly change or to find the the right ride out of the turn to just see the the light bulb moments for for both of those kids. Um, I would say that was pretty special and and thankfully um both of these ponies were regular mediums and the regular mediums go late 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 in the week so these two kids they had more time to learn their ponies before they walked into the show ring whereas let's say the regular larges you know historically the regular larges go really early in the week um so with these two kids they were on mediums and uh and these two mediums just it, it was going to take a little more time for these kids to, to feel comfortable and confident in, in how they were riding and, and communicating with these ponies. But yeah, but just every day to just see the light bulb moments go off of, oh my gosh, I'm getting it. And, and, you know, the time that they would spend with these, you know, maybe not as easy ponies, you know, they would want to connect with them on the ground. You know, they would take them for hand grazes and little bareback rides around the horse park. They would just do all these little things. They kind of knew in their own brains that I'm going to have to work at this all week. You know, if I'm going to, you know, enter that, the Walnut Arena, I've got to be um, on it. So I would say those type of moments for sure um, are exciting to, to us to, to see that develop, um, you know, because sometimes catch riding, you know, you get the, the more balanced pony with the canter that is as comfy as can be. Um, and, and then sometimes it's maybe not so much and you have to, you know, do your best and make do. So overcoming those challenges are always pretty cool. What do you hope the recipients most take away from the week? For sure that hard work pays off and, and maybe not instantly. I think that's one thing that I try to remind people is, um, sometimes your hard work doesn't pay off for years and years and years and years. Sometimes it pays off the second you put in hard work, you know, it just depends. Um, and to not become discouraged, um, 
you know, if it doesn't pay off exactly how or when you want it to. But I would say that's the biggest takeaway I hope that they um, receive and to gain confidence in um, in their ability um, and with that idea. Because um, I, I would imagine that you know, these kids have been working hard all of their pony careers um, and maybe are growing up maybe in a similar way that I did, um, which, okay, the parents say, well, you only have, you know, two shows all summer, you know, and the two shows are going to be, you know, B rated shows or small A shows, um, you know, all summer. And, and that's what you have to do. And then the other shows that your barn goes to, you can go and watch and hang out, but you can't show. And maybe those kids watched and they hung out and they, you know, helped their friends tack up and help their friends groom for their friends and, you know, do that sort of thing and kind of do it that way, but kind of secretly in the back of their brains going, oh, I wish I had more opportunities. Uh, and then, you know, in comes the Scotchman grant that gives them that. So, so that's my hope is that, uh, you know, these kids, um, are, are, are wired that way. And, and we believe that they are, um, and sort of see that this, you know, you can work at it and people will notice your efforts. Well, we definitely hope that all six of this year's riders have a great time. Platinum Performance is proud to be a sponsor of the United States Hunter Jumper Association. At Platinum, we know being your best doesn't happen overnight. It takes passion, dedication, hard work, and the right nutrition to reach your goals. For 25 years, Platinum Performance has been improving the lives of horses by impacting health at the cellular level through advanced nutrition. No matter the personal achievements we seek, the love and care for our horses starts from a place deep inside of us all. The power of advanced nutrition starts within. Platinum Performance, it starts within. For more information about Platinum Performance formulas, call us at 800-553-2400 or visit PlatinumPerformance.com today. You are also involved with the USHJA's Diversity and Inclusion Advocacy Committee. So what is some of your involvement? What do you kind of do with them? Yes, I've transitioned to more of a volunteer role. Um, when the committee uh, was first formed, I was working maybe a little more for USHJA um, than I currently do. Um, and so I, I started on sort of the staff side of sort of a staff liaison, I believe we referred to. My role as um, when things sort of geared off, uh, kicked off. Um, but when January came and I moved out to L.A. and and my time became sort of less of my own, so to speak. Um, and then there's also the, the time zone difference. Um, I sort of transitioned to more of a volunteer role um, to um, assist in, in whatever ways I, I can. Um, and so that's the, the capacity that I serve now. And, um, and it, it's really been eye opening for me. I will say there are, um, conversations that we have that are very healthy conversations that 
that were still maybe uncomfortable for me to, to have uh, amongst the group and, and with other, others. And, um, and I think that's been such a, a large component of growth for myself and probably for all of us, I would imagine. Um, you know, there are things that we talk about that are necessary to really move our sport forward and, and become diverse. Um, one of the things I had to remind myself of, um, and, and by the way, on this committee, we have a, it's a fantastic committee of, we have large R judges, we have small R judges, we have some, there's some USHJ staff present. There, um, are, uh, people who actually are, uh, diversity specialist and and do that for a living and are very well trained in it um, from all parts of the country as well you know uh, the northeast uh, the southeast the west coast um, so we we kind of all come together and and bring our, our insight and our wisdom uh, but but what I was starting to say was there's one thing that I was reminded of, and I have to continue to remind myself of, of, is there is a difference between our mission, which is, you know, making our, our sport as diverse as it can possibly be. There's that. And there's also a separate issue, maybe linked in some ways, but of a separate issue of the financial uh, expense associated with our sport. Um, you know, diversity and, and the sport being expensive and making the sport more financially accessible, those are, you know, not exactly the same issue. And and that's one thing in the very beginning we, we tried to make clear and we, we try to continue to make clear to um to the USHJ membership because that's basically, you know, who our primary our tar- target audience is is the our membership. And um and and so that's just the things I am learning and the things that I am uh, you know, helping others learn. I think that's been, um, probably the most beneficial, uh, uh, to me, um, by, by serving on this committee is, is just that. So it's been, uh, it's been great. I'm happy to be a part of it. In terms of diversity, in your personal opinion, what do you hope to see from the sport and how do you think we can get there? It's a tough question. <laughs> yeah, that really is a, a question. And, uh, you know, ideally, my hope is that, you know, the sport being diverse becomes normal and not, you know, as it is now, which is, you know, when you see a, a rider of a different race, it's, a, it's abnormal. And, um, and you kind of, some, some people may look and stare and, and, or make, you know, inappropriate comments or, um, uh, there's a term that I've, um, that we've sort of been, that I've been learning, uh, you know, microaggressions, uh, you know, little microaggressions, uh, type of comments that, that to the person making the comment may seem, you know, harmless and there's no ill will behind it. But when you, when you sort of sit down and you digest, uh, you know, where that comment is coming from or, or why it came up or, or the, or the question, you, you kind of understand the issues that are embedded in, uh, anything being not diverse. Um, so that's been, that's been interesting, but I would say, you know, ideally that's, that's the, the, the goal and the hope is how can we bring, uh, others into the sport, other races, uh, into the sport a little more so. And, you know, let's face it, you know, our sport, there's a competition side to it for sure. 
and uh, and how can we bring other races not only into the sport in general, but how can we bring them into our USHJ membership and, and into the competitive side of things? And it's not an easy question. And it's, you know, certainly, you know, we don't have a exact answer right this second, but it's chipping away at, at different things uh, with different goals. And, and it's fascinating to have members on the committee from different parts of, of the country um, because we see different things, you know, there, you know, one area may be a little bit different than another. And we observe different things at a horse show on the West Coast than maybe the Midwest or maybe the Northeast. You know, it's just things are a little different. And um, by coming together and bringing our ideas uh, to the table, the hope is we're able to capture a more diverse membership base. It's been amazing to see even in this short amount of time, not even just from USHJ's committee, but from the overall effort of our sport, the changes that have come about even in the past year. Even that presentation at annual meeting that's on our website from the DNI committee was, it was amazing to see the participation and all the, you know, the feedback from those who did watch it and get something from that. Yeah, it was great. And that me- annual meeting was a little nerve wracking for actually all of us, which is, it was funny uh, because like I said, we, we have some uh, folks on the committee who, you know, this is their profession. Um, and they also just so happen to be equestrians. So they, they were, they're more than willing to and love being a part of it. But we all were just, you know, nervous because we, we'd not done it at annual meeting or in an equestrian setting before. Um, but, but again, I think that's, a part of growth. You know, it was a little uncomfortable for, for us. I'm sure it was a little uncomfortable for some people listening, uh, just because you don't know, you had not experienced it before. You don't know what types of conversations are going to come up or what type of questions people may have. Um, so it was a little, a little uncomfortable, but healthy uncomfortable because it, it promoted us to grow and to learn. And, and that was, it was really cool. So. So how do you think the sport has already started changing for the better? Well, one of the things we talked about was, you know, in today's world with images and social media and, you know, a lot of it has to do with what people see and and exposure too, you know. And so if you're, you know, an equestrian and let's say you, you know, live in some place in a small town um, and you're a minority and you ride and you open a magazine or you, you know, look at a website or you, you know, look at TV, a horse show online or, or whatever, and you just don't see a diverse population of people at that level. Um, you just don't always maybe know that, that you can, or you don't know that, that you should, or you will, um, go to the next level for yourself. So one thing that I've noticed, especially that USHJA has picked up on that and made it really important in even small ways by, um, you know, with the website, the social media, um, the magazine, just allowing the, the images that our membership base sees, allowing the, the images to be more diverse. Um, and USHJA has lots of great photographers and, and a lot of um, a good media staff. Um, and so they clearly have sat down in that department and, and pulled these things from over the years, you know, maybe pictures from four or five years ago, seven years ago, whatever the case may be. And uh, I'm sure it wasn't an easy project and, you know, took a little time, but that shows, you know, when you open the website um, and you see, you know, a, a Latino rider, you know, jumping and, and competing, 
at let's say the Las Vegas National, um, you know, a, a newer, bigger horse show, you kind of go, wow, okay, you know, or, or on the West Coast or the East Coast or an African American rider, you know, you just, we're starting to see those things more and more. And I think that's, I think that's crucial, especially kids, you know, young riders, because there is that sense of, well, I already feel like maybe I'm a little different at my barn because I just feel different. And then, you know, I just don't know. I don't know if it's possible. So, so it's kind of, it affirms to our membership base that, yeah, it's possible. You may be a minority. You're welcome here. And it's certainly possible that you can have the level of success that you aspire to. It's definitely important to be able to look at something, whether it be a magazine or, or a website, and see somebody that looks like you. In all ways, too. And I think that feeling of being different, whatever different may be for a particular person, uh, being different should be the norm. And, and that's, what I, that's what I think, you know, USHJ has decided that, you know, it wants to be an organization where maybe being a, a little different based on skin color, whatever the case may be, you know, that's normal. That's normal for our membership. And that's normal to see at these shows of all levels, whether it's a small A show or a national show like Devin, you know, you are welcome here. You are, we, we want you. Um, I think that's the, the image and the, uh, the perception that, you know, they're clearly working at, at changing. Um, I think that's fantastic. That's fantastic. Because the horses are supposed to be that for us all. Yeah. They don't care what you look like. Yeah, no. You know, when, when life kicks you in the butt, you want to come out to the barn and, and, and be with the horse and say, well, life is kind of beating me up, but, but this sport is not, you know, and that's what's going to help keep the sport alive and healthy and growing is that feeling of, you know, not, oh my gosh, life is beating me up. And then I do horses and then the horse sport beats me up even more. It's certainly moving in that direction and, um, not going to take six months or a year to to you know, have everything perfect, of course. It'll never be perfect, but but certainly taking steps in the right direction. Definitely. To wrap up the first portion, I have the two questions that we ask everybody we have on the podcast. First is, when people look back on what you have accomplished in the sport, what do you hope to be remembered for? I I would say giving back, I guess. And and doing so with good intentions, that and and being an honest and ethical person, I would say that something along those lines. If if, if I were to be remembered, I, I would like to be remembered for for those things. And certainly, that doesn't you know come with easy work. You have to sort of work at at representing myself that way and and being that way in order to be remembered that way. You have to be that way. Um, but but yeah, that would you know, that would make me happy with my life. And what fuels your passion for the sport? I think I love it so much because you can always grow and you always will grow. And I think you can grow to the level that you aspire to. And, and there've been seasons of my life where all I wanted to do is trail ride. You know, when I, when I lived out in uh, Lexington, Kentucky, I had a horse there at the time and and I discovered how cool it is to just walk around on a horse and, and trail ride and, and go out in the woods. And, um, so whatever level you aspire to in the big picture or, or even in that, in that season of your life, um, you're growing, 
you're growing. Like it was a little bit uncomfortable for me to just get on a horse and just go out in the woods without, you know, riding it for 45 minutes first and then using sort of the walk around as like the cooling out period after I made sure he was quiet, you know, like, like that, that, that's how I usually done horses. You, if you hack out, you were probably want to rode them first, you know, to make sure they weren't too fresh. Um, but so there, there was growth there for me in terms of in that season of my life, just horse hadn't been ridden in two weeks. So let me just get, I mean, had, had a safe horse. So that was, you know, that helped for sure. Um, but there was growth in that area that, you know, you could just do that and have that confidence and trust. So whether it's that level for a rider is just sort of hacking out or if it's on a more, you know, competitive side where the growth is, you know, you want to make it to Capital Challenge and show in the WCHR developing Pro Challenge and you working uh, these WCHR events and these shows to, you know, collect points for yourself to, to qualify. So whatever it is for you, there's there's growth everywhere at all levels. I love that. So my last segment, we call it the Victory Gallop. It is a series of short kind of rapid fire questions to help our listeners get to know you a little bit more. First, what emoji best describes your personality? I would say it's the, I don't even know the word that it comes up on, but it's the one where like the eyes are big and the, and the like tongue is to the side. That maybe describes me because I'm a little bit, um, I'm sort of quiet, but, but also sort of uh, energetic. Uh, and I'll have, I'll have energy at random times. Like if it's, you know, four in the morning or five in the morning, or if it's 10 at night and we're, you know, making sure the horses are wrapped and cared for, I'll just start singing and dancing. And, um, I'm starting to experiment with TikTok now, which is fun. Um, so, so I would say that emoji probably describes me just a little bit weird and, and odd at different times, maybe. What is your favorite song? Yeah, at the moment, it is, it's one of Justin Bieber's song. I think it's called Intentions. I think that's what it's called. It, it's pretty good. I, I like the beat and the vibe. And it's interesting now, the types of songs that I will say I like more being on the West Coast versus when I was on the East Coast, just the, the energy of where I live now is is very different than, you know, when I lived when I was on the East Coast. So it's interesting that the songs that I connect with now, I will say they they were still probably good songs to me when I lived on the East Coast. Um, I'm just liking them a little bit more now, but I'm pretty sure it's called uh, Intentions by Justin Bieber. What are two things you can't get through a day at the barn without? So definitely coffee and um, nowadays boot polish. Definitely good, good staples. What is your favorite horse show? I still like WEF. You know, I'm uh, going to the Desert International Horse Park this year for the first time was was great. A lot of fun. There are a lot of things that it offers that you know, in Wellington, the show in Wellington does not. Um, but I still the the energy in Wellington and, and what you are exposed to, it's just, it's just different. And, um, and you get to see everything of all levels there. So I'd say that's probably my favorite horse show. And I've had the opportunity to spectate, uh, over the years in Wellington and I've had opportunities to compete there. So I've been on sort of both sides and, um, and I'd say that's probably my favorite. 
If you were given a 30-second ad slot during the Super Bowl, what would you use it to say? It'd have to be something encouraging, and, and it would need to be something along the lines of, you know, life happens to us all, and, and difficulties happen to us all, and when those things uh, happen to you in your life, you know, don't lose hope, you know, uh, keep working hard and, and find something to focus on, whether it's focusing on the one thing in your life that's going well, it may be one thing, maybe two things, but focus on what's going well and then give yourself something to focus on working at when, when those moments happen. Cause I'm really a firm believer in that. Like, you know, you just have to focus, you know, focus on, on what you want, focus on the things that are going well and don't get, don't spend, you know, excessive energy just thinking about what's not going well. So I think it'd be something along those lines. And I would obviously, it would have to be horse related because that's, that's the area that I love most. But, um, but yeah, it'd be something along those lines. Do you have any riding superstitions or good luck charms? Sounds silly, but going into every class with shiny boots, um, I, I would say um, that's something that I don't want to miss. So even if, um, so we had, there a lot of, there's a lot of talented riders out here and Archie is really good about partnering different horses with different riders. And, um, and so I get to watch Jamie Taylor and Nick Kness ride a lot and they, they, you know, will show our Hunter Derby horses and our, our really top, top horses and having an opportunity to, to watch them and, and see the things that they don't take for granted, you know, like the turnout of themselves, the turnout of their boots, you know, how they present themselves. It sounds small and silly, but it, it's so important. If you could only eat one food for the rest of your life, what would it be? Sushi. I wish I could eat that for every meal. What is something that makes you excited? Doing something I've never done before. It's a mix of excitement. There usually is a healthy amount of anxiety. Um, and I say a healthy amount because I, I don't, I don't struggle with extreme anxiety, uh, thankfully, but enough to help me focus more on what I need to do to try to have a level of success at that unfamiliar thing. So I would say, yeah, for sure. Doing, doing things that I've not done before. If you're not at the barn, riding, or sleeping, what can you be found doing? Maybe walking around the park. Uh, there's a park right across from where I live, and um, it's so peaceful. I, I get a lot of just get to relax and, and sort of channel my thoughts and figure out life and try to you know, work out different things mentally. Um, I would say just walking. I'm certainly not a runner. I hate running. I've always hated running, but just, you know, casually strolling and walking. If you weren't a professional rider, what would you be? I think some type of counselor or therapist. If I had to do college all over again, I think I would study psychology. I think that's interesting to me. Um, I also think I'm a good listener. I like to listen and, uh, and also like to help people. So uh, I think that's, yeah, if I, if I had a round two of life or if I didn't have horses, I think that's what it would look like for me. And lastly, what is the last movie or TV show you watched? Pit Bulls and Parolees. Uh, it's on Netflix. It's uh, about this dog rescue nonprofit. But the show is um, about these 
uh, this organization that rescues primarily pit bulls and pit bull mixes. And they also uh, help people who are on parole, you know, that want to, that are out of prison and they, they want to have a better life for themselves and they obviously, obviously need a job. And so you, um, you see the, you know, effects of the, that the dog has by being rescued and taken off the street and rehomed. Um, so they're benefiting the animal and the community that way. But then they're also giving back to the community by giving these, those who are on parole, uh, sort of a second shot at, at life that, that maybe otherwise wouldn't have that opportunity. So I, I definitely am a believer in doing what you can with the opportunities that you've been given. And so it's pretty cool to see how most of those on the show take full advantage of the opportunity and they're, they're wanting to do better for themselves. But it's a, it's a cool blend of, of helping people and helping animals, helping the dogs. So it's, it's pretty cool. So, I watched that last night. That was the last thing I watched. <laughs> so should we warn Archie if you come <laughs> strolling in with a pit bull next time? Yeah. Well, it's probably a good thing that they're no longer in California. I spend my Mondays there and a new pit bull every day, every Monday. Well, that is all I have for you. Thank you so much for coming on, having a great conversation. Awesome. I really enjoyed this. This has been really cool. Thank you very much. to episode 10 of USHJ On Course. As always, be sure to subscribe so you don't miss the next episode and follow USHJA on social media to stay up to date with all of our latest news. Music